Welcome to the Wedding Film Academy podcast, your go-to source for learning to create stunning wedding films and run a successful business. Here's your host, Lumix Luminary and wedding filmmaker, Jordan Bunch. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wedding Film Academy podcast. We are back at it with our color series. We took a little break to talk about collaboration, which I thought was important in the midst of all the chaos and division of election week to talk about to talk about collaborating. So, uh, but we are back at the color series because I think this is such an important topic. It's a topic that I think gets really overlooked when it comes to uh, small independent uh, filmmaking, wedding filmmaking. A lot uh, we talk about so many other things that are. Um, you know, fun, sexy things to talk about and color gets overlooked. And I think that the industry suffers as a whole because of this. So I wanted to talk to a number of folks who have different perspectives on color, who are doing very different types of things, who are doing um, shooting with different camera systems, but who pay a lot of attention to their color, who really um, are doing some phenomenal work, in my opinion, with their color and one of the people who came to the forefront of my mind as I was thinking about that was Matt Harris. So Matt, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So Matt uh, is a we're gonna we're gonna call you a wedding singer. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Matt's uh, formerly uh, had a band that performed at weddings and events and things like that, um, and about five years ago started going full time with wedding filmmaking. Maybe just give me a tell me a little bit of that about that because that's an interesting story. Yeah, um, you know, we just started making our own little music demos uh, in our band, and my wife Pacey, who shoots with me now, um, she was a singer. I play guitar, and um, you know, we just that got me a little bit interested in gear, and then from there, you know, you just find uh, find some different, you know, I guess gear reviews, different things, and ended up seeing you know, a, a wedding film shot like they are today and just think being blown away. You know, it's like, this is a live event, but it's shot like a movie, but there's a story, you know, and it's just, and I just got this creative itch that I hadn't had before. And I, I almost couldn't help myself, but go and, you know, make a wedding for like my distant cousin, you know, and that's just how it all started. Nice. That is awesome. I love that story. So um, you've been been at it now full time for five years. Um, one of the things that, well, I'm curious. Talk to me in terms of how you've thought about color, how that shifted over time. You know, starting starting five years ago, I think color is probably one of the things that for most people it's not in the forefront of their mind in the early days of their of their shooting of their careers. Talk to me about how your thoughts about color have shifted over the last few years. Yeah. Um, and that's a good point. I think when you first start, maybe you're, you know, like you say, you're not thinking about color grading so much, or if you are, you're doing it in a sort of um, just a haphazard way, you know, just something you might hear that you should be working on and just kind of slapping some quick presets in with very little thought. But, um, you know, color is something I've always been drawn to. Uh, and I think, you know, subconsciously at first, because 
when you're attracted to an image, no matter what screen you're seeing it on, you always can appreciate color. You know, it doesn't have to be 4K or anything else, you know, and and that goes for brides as well. But um, there's certain looks and certain images and lighting ratios that just kind of happen that you almost have an emotional reaction to. It just feels like it's it's more than real, you know, you connect Mm -hmm. with it and color always plays a big part in that because, you know, just the way your brain works, you know, it's just very sensitive to, um, color, especially when it comes to like reference colors, you know, like sky and and grass. And if you get outside of that area that your brain would accept to be real, um, it's, you know, it almost triggers something. You become aware that you're watching a film and it doesn't mean you can't have very creative color grades that are, you know, surreal, but there's, you know, there's also this area that you have to live in at the same time. And, um, I've just been kind of fascinated by the, uh, the way that all that works in the whole experience, whether you're, you know, uh, aware of what's going on with the color or not, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, let's start off let's talk about one of the things that I wanted to do in this series that we haven't touched a whole lot on. We did a little bit in the last episode with Julio because Julio is one of these guys who sort of brand hopped, um, all over the place. He's been with Olympus, Panasonic, Canon, Sony, Fuji, I think probably pretty much everything under the sun other than Nikon. Mm -hmm. Um, so what about you? What, uh, I know, uh, color science is obviously a big deal to you. Uh, you're a Canon guy, aren't you? Yes. We're, I've, I've, been kind of pretty much Canon from the beginning, but not because, um, I haven't stuck with Canon, you know, just out of sort of like convenience or anything, you know, I've wanted to move around cause it's like, it's, it's actually hard to be a, a Canon, especially a 4k Canon shooter these days, you know, it takes a lot of right. extra work, uh, and everything. Um, but, uh, you know, I've, I've tested a lot of cameras and I love right now, you know, the GH5 is my, uh, other favorite as far as color goes. So the, the one DX2 and the GH5 are what we shoot with. Um, the, the GH5 is like our D camera, our wide camera for most things. And then, um, the one DX2 is our main other ones. And, um, you know, that's in the, uh, in the eight bit world or even the 10 bit world on, on kind of consumer or more prosumer cameras, you know, it's, it's just so important to get your colors, you know, they need to come out being in the ballpark of where you want, you know, yeah, it's, it's 100%. fair. And, um, the thing that's always, you know, been in something that stood out to me that I never really hear anybody touch on is, isn't necessarily color like, Oh, you know, just your, like your primaries or what they look like. Cause that's easy enough to shift around it. It's, it's really the subtle tones, like the gradations from, you know, light skin to, to dark skin tone, you know, your shadows and the way that that falls off and these nuances that almost can't be tested or even described, but almost felt when you see the image. And that's something that certain manufacturers, I'm just like, I'm not connecting with it, you know, no matter what I do, um, I just am never happy. And so I, I think that's something that I'm very happy with on our Canon cameras. And when I did, like I said, our, our GH5 test, uh, they've, they've come a long way too. Yeah. Yeah. The color science dramatically changed. I, I switched to Panasonic, uh, during the GH4, uh, the GH4's reign at the top of the lineup and yeah, the color dramatically improved uh, with the GH5. So that's definitely one of the things I was super happy with. Yeah. So, 
Um, so yeah, how's that been just in terms of, of, of matching your Canon colors? So you said you're, you're shooting like three cameras, three Canon cameras and a fourth GH5. Right. Um, you know, because I'm doing mostly the our wider stuff on the GH5, you know, I'm not having to match in the same sense as, you know, doing two similar shots, you know, like a, like a standard over the shoulder or something like right. that. So it's not a headache. I don't think it necessarily would be anyway. Um, but I haven't, you know, uh, I've, our profile, I think we both like Cine like V, um, as, yeah, as, that's, and it's that's my jam. Yeah. It's very nice looking. I've been, I think I had, uh, a couple settings in camera a little too, I had it a little too flat, uh, for my taste on that. And just, um, so I've gotten it dialed in and it works well in, you know, now it, uh, for, uh, like rehearsal dinner coverage, just to save some storage space, I've been running the couple's reaction on the GH five and then our main, mm. you know, other one, uh, our main speech cameras, the, the one DX two and they're cutting pretty well together. Uh, so nice. Yeah. Very cool. So talk to me about, you mentioned, you know, with, with, um, you know, prosumer cameras, um, eight and 10 bit cameras. We're really having to get our colors accurate in camera. Um, if we're going to be able to do what we need to in post, um, and get a really good look. So talk to me about what are some, what are some tips and tricks that you're using to get that color right in camera? Sure. Uh, you know, to do that, the, I used to white balance by eye and really I think, um, the majority of studios do it. I mean, you guys probably do as well. And I'm not, yeah. I think that can be done to a pretty good extent. Are you guys, do y'all spend a good bit of time in post doing color correcting, you know, just. We do, but, uh, I try, I mean, that's one of the things that I am sort of constantly on my team about mm -hmm. is like getting the color right. So we do a lot of training about that. Right. Um, I really have, you know, dive deep into them with how we get it right in camera. So, but you know, there's still situations where you're in the green room or whatever, that's just like difficult. So, yes, you know, we definitely make sure that we're spending, uh, you know, a decent amount of time in post, but yeah, really trying to nail it in camera. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, th and that's kind of the way it was for me, uh, for a long time. And, um, and we've had some second shooters that have just, you know, shot with me, uh, on a time or two. And these are lead shooters from other studios and, you know, they balance by eye. And I just noticed that, you know, I had a little bit of problems, but, um, and the main thing is, is for me is I want to be spending as much time as possible color grading, you know, yeah. and the less I have to think about correction, meaning fixing a shot that has yep. a green shift or whatever, the the more it frees my mind to think about other things. Um, so for m almost every wedding, I do basically zero color correcting. And the mm -hmm. way the way I do that is by getting a, an objective white balance before we start recording for every shot, right? So if I know where the bride's going to be, I know the light she's going to be in, I want to measure that white balance. And I don't just want to measure for Kelvin. I want to measure the green magenta shift. And, you know, oftentimes there's green tint on a window. Um, and kind of studying and learning like how the human brain works uh, is has really helped me to understand that even trying to do it by eye is going to, you're, it's almost impossible to get perfect to the point where you don't have to think about it. It's either like I have to think about it when I'm editing 
is this right? You know, do I need to play or not? You know, either, you know, after that it's so, so the goal is to not really have to, to consider. And, um, so I used two tools to, to help with that. And, uh, the first we started using was an expo disc. And the Disc is similar. You, you, most people are probably somewhat familiar with it. Uh, yeah. it's, it's different than using a gray card because you put it over your lens and put your camera in the position that just using like bride makeup prep, for example, you put it right where her head's going to be and you take a white balance measurement. You can use custom white balance in the camera um, and certain cameras will actually give you the Kelvin temperature and green magenta shift. I'm not sure what Panasonic does on that. Canon does not tell you anything. They just they just set your uh, your white balance for you and you have no idea, which I hate because you're not learning to, you know, know what different uh, color temperatures look like with your eye. Right. Um, so that's my first way of doing that. Uh, but the second way uh, is something new and I'm working on a little YouTube video for it. And I think it will really help your listeners uh, when nice. it comes out. But um, we uh, there's an iPhone app called Centimeter, uh, mm-hmm. Centimeter Two. It's a little pricey, uh, you know, twenty nine thirty nine bucks. But um, you combine that with a uh, a little tool called Luxie for All, and it what that is is this little clip goes over the camera in your iPhone. Looks a lot like uh, those little domes that are on a professional's light meter, right? And you drop that over your iPhone. You have to calibrate Centimeter to be uh, to, to give you a proper reading once. So you can do that by either having a, uh, um, a real light meter and matching to it. Or, uh, you know, if you if direct sun is like, every time I've measured it, like, like hard, like sun straight on is right at 5,400 Kelvin. So you can measure from there. Then you go ahead and balance for your green shift as well. And I'm loving that method. That's what I use the most. Now I just hold my phone up right by the bride's face and she smiles. I'm like, Hey, this is going to get the colors just right. Make, make your skin look perfect. And she's like, cool. She knows what I'm going to do. And just this weekend, you know, we shot and I tried as a test for this little tutorial. I want to do, um, the, the, you know, by eye, I had it, you know, uh, I completely missed the green shift in the room. And the reason for that, I just mentioned earlier about like the way your brain compensates for different color temperatures. Um, and you know, you're probably familiar with this, but for anyone that's not, it's like your brain's able to take in like multiple white balances at the same time. And, and, but it's also able to, uh, adjust for, you know, for, for what it knows is white in a, like in a room, you know, it's going to adjust for until you get to the far extremes, you know, when you get to 2,500 Kelvin or lower, like candlelight, things actually look warm. And then when you go to full dusk, you know, 10,000 Kelvin and above, it's sort of the same way. But, um, the reason it's so hard to do it by eye perfectly all the time is because your brain is actually, it's taken in the entire room. It's, it's almost like an evaluative meter, on a, you know, for photos, it's taking that into account when you're looking at your screen also, but also your, the back of your screen, you know, those aren't always calibrated perfectly. And, and they're also at like the white point on the back of a, a a normal, um, LCD screen on the cameras, you know, 6,000 Kelvin or something. But if you're in a really warm room, you're going to overcompensate because your screen's colder than the ambient light in that room. But your brain is trying to, you know, basically white balance mentally for that 3000 Kelvin room. So it makes it hard, you know, there's this whole, you know, thing and you can try to compensate, but, um, 
the best way, the most consistent way I've found, and I know I've talked a little <laughs> bit at length about it uh, now, but uh, is just getting this objective thing that I trust. That's awesome. And um, it's led to almost zero color unless unless i get like caught off guard like real quick that they start saying a prayer before they come down the aisle and i need to you know i'll just flick to auto white balance or something if i have zero time and i just know it'll get me in a safe area i can correct later other than that if i don't get caught in a pinch everything is measured takes a little bit extra time before each shot but it takes zero time to color correct a film that's awesome i love that well i can't wait for that youtube video Yes, I, uh, I think it, I think it'll be really helpful for folks just either to to have in a hard room, you know, like or to just implement all the time. And just as another example, uh, we were just at a um, a Mississippi, you know, Methodist church, in like they had this the yellowest of yellow stained glass you could imagine. The groom's getting ready in there, and it's like it could not be this more putrid yellow. And I'm looking at yeah. it with my eyes. I'm just like, oh, what are we, you know, what are we going to do? And that, that's a case where doing the expo disc for custom white balance can actually be even better than trying to measure because you can't manually dial in like whatever it was to, to get out this yellow color. I couldn't yeah. have gone that far. That and far extreme. It was wow. ridiculous, but custom white balance, at least with the cannons. And I, I'm pretty sure with all the cameras, you know, they're made to, to, to try to, to neutralize that. Um, it beautiful looking stuff. You would never have known that that window was this so nasty, uh, of a color shift in there. <laughs> That's awesome. Very cool. Uh, we can, exp- uh, you think that video is coming out in the next few weeks or something or I, I really hope so. And I'm so, uh, it's so hard for me when I promise to do a video cause I'm so bad about, you know, I'm all my, I'm always having to do client work, you know, yeah, and yeah, sticking no with doubt. them. And then I'm very bad at, uh, guesstimating the amount of time it will take me to do something. It's a, it's a serious fault of mine, no, no worries. <laughs> uh, well, but I, I want done, it to be soon. Yeah. Well, when it is done, just, uh, definitely post that in the wedding film Academy Facebook group. Yeah. So, uh, so everybody can check it out. That'd I think be awesome. I think it'd be cool. And the main reason too, you know, Jordan is, is just because we're not shooting raw. You know, the first step of color grading is choosing your white balance. It really is in with what yeah. we're all doing as wedding filmmakers. So it has to be kind of taken seriously. And I've never really been happy with extreme color corrections, uh, that I've had to do in post, you know, anything minor is okay. But after that, you know, it starts to just, it looks like a corrected image, you know, even if, even if you have your whites neutral, you lose dynamic range and all these other things can happen. So. Absolutely. Yep. We were just shooting a little thing the other day and, uh, is inside someone's house and, um, there was just one clip that we were just off by, a, by a little bit. And it probably spent like a good five minutes on that one clip trying to get it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like you said, it, you, you start to see those shifts. You start to see, you know, okay, we got the white right, but now this brown uh, uh, cabinet thing that they had, now that looks sort of pink. So then you have to like, you know, go in there and grab the color select tool and just do a color mask. And, you know, so it's like, yeah. it's really complicated when you just miss it by a little bit. It can get really complicated. So I really love that. That uh, Those are some good tips I haven't heard in a while. I used to, like in my photography days, when I was doing mostly photography, I used the Expo Disc a lot, but 
uh, I don't even know where that is anymore. Really? To be honest, they're so, not they're not cheap, but you can pick them up on eBay. You know, for relatively good prices now. Yeah, cheaper than that now. And you know, just uh, we just and Pacey actually uses the Expo Disc with the Luxie for All app. So instead, mm. I mean, not the Lux, the Centimeter app. So you can calibrate. There's it can use any of the lenses on your camera, and so you can hold it up to the light. Uh, and she just gets her white balance like that. And, uh, it works really well if, if once you have it dialed in, dialing in the green shift is a little difficult, but I'll, I'll try to go over that in the video. Cause it, it takes a, it's, it's a little bit frustrating getting that just right, but yeah, no doubt. So I want to talk a little bit more about, uh, about, um, shooting for color, mm-hmm. specifically thinking about, uh, lighting and the lighting that you bring on to set. Um, so how does that, how does the the color temperature balance of the lights that you're bringing in um, to different scenarios, how does that play a role in getting color in camera? Well, um, that kind of starts to get into your personal preferences, but usually, you know, at reception lighting, I want to match my color temperature to the ambient lighting, right? right? Because the way, you know, we're moving the camera around and different things. um, Sometimes that rim light, will, you know, shift in and now it'll become their key light, you know, once I move to the other side of the room. So rather than being creative and, you know, you know, if I were lighting a music video, I might have a little bit cooler back, you know, rim lights, backlighting, uh, you know, you, you kind of have to understand that those lights are going to be, you know, serving multiple purposes, uh, if you're doing any sort of gimbal work or whatever. And, um, so matching to the ambient, um, not only with color temperature, but also with exposure to, uh, you know, you can easily overpower the amb- the ambient light in the room and it, you know, becomes a, it's just a different look. And that's more about quality of light rather than color. Uh, but, um, you know, just sticking with color and everything, I found that to be the, uh, the best way for reception lighting, but, uh, yeah. at time at times I'll run into, and we're using, um, torch LEDs. Uh, so, you know, variable color temperature and, um, just, just recently, and, and this happens occasionally, we'll do like a, a church exit. Um, and it's, it's nighttime when they're walking out of the church and there's maybe these, uh, fluorescent, you know, street lights or whatever. Um, and so in that case, you kind of want to, you want to balance the same way. If you want your lights to work with the, uh, lights, you know, the, the street lights. And so the reason I would like, I just lit a rose petal exit and, uh, you know, wanted to use their street lights as this sort of backlight. Um, but I wanted my lights to match. So bringing out that centimeter app, I was able to tell, you know, this is like 4,500 Kelvin, uh, temp. I just matched my light to that, uh, and was able to have, you know, just the whole thing that all the lights work together that I didn't have any sort of, I didn't have to pick a middle ground to balance to because I just left my lights at, at a 3200 temp and, you know, mixed lighting's never really an ideal thing. So, uh, for situations like that, it's very good to try to match, uh, to the existing lights or the ambient light. Yeah, absolutely. I think I mean, that's something we, we definitely teach here in studio as well. And I think one of the main things for that is just, you want it to be well lit for your subject to be attractively lit, but you also don't want it to be obvious that you're using these lights. Right. You know? Yeah. So if you're the, the goal I think is like that if you're not a filmmaker, you're not going to notice the fact that they're using these lights. It's just going to look like, Oh, that looks good. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah. And just, you know, and occasionally people just end up naturally standing in beautiful light. You know, we've all been there where it's just, you know, someone's yep. just in good nat and that's basically what you're trying to recreate for your couple all day. <laughs> you know, exactly. is this just a nice looking lighting scenario? Absolutely. Uh, do those torches, do they have, uh, I, I haven't used one of those. I know they're super popular lights. Do they have like a remote on them? They have a remote, um, and they work with a big Sony batteries. Uh, the guys that really like the, the dado lights and like to put them really far away don't like the torches is from what I've found. And then the people yeah. who are okay with bringing the lights in a little closer like torches. So, um, yeah. I'm not scared to bring up a light a little bit, not like on the corner of a dance floor with a sandbag hidden, you know, behind a table or something where nobody's going to trip. I'll bring my lights in a little bit. Um, and yeah. Uh, at least when the dancing gets going and stuff like that. And so the torches have just freed us up in so many other ways, just battery power and all these other things. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Um, okay. Let's talk about, I mean, we can, we can kind of skip over uh, color correction for you because you've already, <laughs> <laughs> you've already, uh, you've already life hacked that one for us. Um, so let's talk about color grading then. You want to spend, you talked about wanting to spend a lot of time on your color grade. Mm -hmm. uh, give me, give me sort of the workflow. Um, you brought the footage in and you've probably, I imagine, are you doing this kind of last, this is one of the last things you're doing? Yes. So there's two different ways that we grade on, on our, if a film is going to be public, so we don't post every film, right? I don't just throw them all out there. You know, of course they're public to the, the couple and everything, but um, you know, we have what we call show pieces and these are just films where we feel like everything clicked. We, you know, on the day and there there's, as far as um, it wasn't only the best we can do. Cause we always, you know, every time we always want to do the best we can do for the couple, but you know, if they have a good story and everything, and we feel like those are going to be on the front of the website, whatever. Um, those films we grade differently. I'll just spend an extra couple hours on those, you know, because this is what's bringing in the majority of our new clients. Uh, and in the same way they show the, you know, top end model on a car commercial or whatever, you know, you want to give everything yeah. you got to it. And, um, so with those, we grade and resolve, um, for our standard sort of films, I'll just grade within my editor and final cut. Um, and there, and that's more of a, you know, there, we're using some of the preset LUTs that we've made and resolve and they end up looking, you know, really good. Uh, but if I really want to spend some time on stuff, I go to resolve. And I think that's really where you can pull ahead and start to do some things that just aren't possible inside of an editor. Hmm. So let's talk first then about what you're doing in Final Cut, and then we can get into some of the Resolve stuff as well. But since sounds like uh, probably most of your work is going just through Final Cut. Mm -hmm. um, so talk to me about what the workflow is with color grading and Final Cut. So, yeah, I mean, I basically don't correct anything, um, you know, at all. But unless a shot's blown, you know, I'll go ahead and fix it as I'm editing just to, to make sure it's going to be a usable shot. I want to go ahead and know before I'm relying on it for the edit, you know, so, um, but I won't color correct, uh, you know, anything else. And once, once the film's done, um, we take a step back. I'll actually mix sound first and then come to their color mm -hmm. grade. And yeah. occasionally I'll do, um, I can't do a lot of it in final cut because there's no 
you know, you can't really do any tracking in Final Cut unless you bring in some of the third-party plugins, and it's miserably slow. So occasionally I'll do some vignettes and stuff like that just to add focus to the shot, you know, especially if it's bridal makeup, something like that. So uh, just using a mask, um, I use the color board inside of Final Cut, and I'm fine with that. You know, I don't find it any... Uh, it's not any more restrictive or anything as color wheels to me. Uh, but I can see that being a little, you know, someone's not used to it. It's a little bit different, just mindset. But um, really from there, you know, we're just, we're just doing exposure adjustments uh, either for, you know, if, if we underexpose a little bit, we're, we may fix a couple things like that. But most times we're just creating separation on our subject and background. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really what's, I like to focus on color grading. And I think that's something that is kind of easily overlooked in grading. You know, m- most people think of, you know, the shot as the the, the full shot, everything that's in the frame. And right. when you start thinking of things in layers, albeit, you know, it'd be like different color layers or different, you know, foreground, middle background, thinking about things in layers that way, then you can start to add a lot more pop to your film. Yeah. And, um, you know, in the final cut workflow we have, I don't do a lot of that because that is more of a, um, a simple grade. So we just, we might do one or two shots in that way. Can't do a whole lot. And then we, we will most often, uh, most often I do a global grade at the end of the, the export, you know, so it's the same, you know, that would be mostly I'll do one of the LUTs that I've created inside of resolve as a starting point. And then in every film, you know, I mean, it's always different the way you want to grade it because just the day itself is different, not to mention the style of the couple. I've never had, you know, a a wedding day or a wedding where I could just grade it exactly the same. And part of that's probably, you know, it's creative reasons. Every couple's different. It just might feel a little bit different, but also, you know, I mean, just the, the, the way that the light was on the day, you know, it's, it's, it's always just different. So, um, and, and so, uh, well, we have a few base LUTs that we start with and which I think most people do. And then, um, we tweak from there and export and they, you know, ends up with a, uh, you know, I prefer pretty natural looking grades, even though I'm not opposed to doing a heavy stylized grade. I think we, we had a film in Iceland that was, you know, graded a little bit differently and a little more outside of our box, uh, than normal. But, um, that, so, you know, the final cut workflow is pretty simple and nothing, uh, you know, because we're not spending much time in color correction, you know, we're, we're able to just tweak, tweak individual shots, contrast, uh, using secondaries and and masks and, and separating some, you know, subjects that way and finishing up with a grade. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, that's one of the things I I really like about your work is it has that very um, s- sort of classic, I-, I think, timeless feel to it in terms of the color. You know, I always, one of the things I talk to, um, to my editors about when they're working on the color grade is I don't want, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, it's just not what we want. Mm-hmm. Right. But what we want is for you not to be able to look at our film and say, you know, based on like really anything, but particularly color, I can sort of point back and say, okay, this was created in 2018. 
Yeah, I understand. You know, when I look five years from now, kind of thing, you know, because styles change and, and all that. But there's there's a to me there's sort of a um, a true north, and if you kind of stick with true north, it does have that timeless feel to it. And for some, that might just feel like, oh, well, that's boring. Um, you know, I want to always keep up with like whatever's current, the currently kind of the, the fad of the day or whatever. And that's cool too. Um, because I appreciate all of that. And like some people's work, I look at it and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's phenomenal. Maybe I should do that. But I just kind of come always, always come back home to true North. And to me, uh, your work really epitomizes true North, uh, in a, in a really powerful way, I think so. Well, thanks. Yeah. I, yeah. I understand like kind of both ways of doing it because, um, you know, it's good to be creative and it's, it's great to push things really far. Um, as far as like dating a film with the grade, you know, I mean like, of course, like the bride's dress and everything, if she, you know, that's going to date her film in a Absolutely. way, but right. you yeah. don't necessarily want to put your own date on it, you know, because it's, you're in, in a way we're documenting the day. And, and of course, you know, that, that's inevitable in a way, but, um, I think you just kind of have to fill it out and, and see what works. And also, you know, you're always going to go back to your style. Um, and, but that's the beauty of color grading. It's like this extra, you know, there's so much creativity that goes into editing and it can be the same way with color grading and you can do it per, you know, by the couple to the same way you edit a film. If it's a sentimental film, you do it that one way, same way when it comes time to color grading. And so, uh, I, I love the flexibility that's, that, that can be there for it. And, um, you know, it's, it, every, every choice you make starting from your camera, then to your white balance and everything else, you know, affects the way that it, uh, the film feels. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, uh, anything else you want to say about the final cut workflow? No, only because I feel like I don't, I'm not truly grading within final cut, you know, yeah. in the, in the same sense that most people are. Um, and for, I think I have very good reasons for that. And most, mostly is because I don't really like LUTs. They are very limited in the, what they can do. Um, I like them fine as a corrective, you know, corrective LUT say, you know, we're going to do Panasonic V-Log LUT or something like that. Uh, you know, then that's fine. You know, it's basic contrast adjustments, but when you want to start right. separating color and everything, the, um, I think the most, uh, there's a certain very, like there's certain YouTube videos you can see out there and you can be like, all right, that was graded with a LUT. I know it. And, um, by that, I mean, there's a certain limitation inside of a LUT, meaning like it can't roll off. Uh, mm. if a LUT is isolated skin tones a certain way and is pushing them a little bit hard and also maybe isolating, lower midtones a certain way, the roll off between the two adjustments is very unnatural looking in a LUT. It can be right? right. If it's pushed very hard, if it's light, it's not a big deal. But, um, when a film's graded that way, it's very apparent and it has this, it's something you would never see in, uh, uh like a Hollywood movie. It's something, right. it's a certain look you would never see anywhere except for on quick grades that end up on the internet. And I really don't like that. Uh, I don't like the look in the first place. Um, I'm not like bashing it because it's quick and easy, but I think it, you know what I mean? I think it's quick and easy because, uh, you know, it's, it's just taking a shortcut to a, a true grade. So basically yeah. a, a heavy color grade, I don't like to be done within, um, a regular editor. Yeah. I think, no, I think you're right. I think 
you know, LUTs certainly have their place in workflows, like you said, you know, kind of getting you back to a workable place from a log profile or something. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's other, you know, I think there's other legitimate uses of LUTs. I'm not in any way delegitimizing them. I know, I mean, we use, we use our own LUTs. Right. Um, but I do think that they're often used as, um, as sort of a, a bandaid of, I don't know what else to do. So I'm going to put on this LUT. Yeah, uh, to get whatever look that you know the creator of the LUT, yeah, you know, right, decide, it, decided to sell me or whatever. And even if it nails exactly what you're going for, which is fine, you know, especially if you're you know you're just trying to chew through the films, but you're, you know, you're not learning, um, doing that, and also you know it's it's very you're not you're you're certainly not able to explore uh, right. within a LUT because like inside of DaVinci Resolve, like if you do a true power grade with eight different nodes, you can tweak, um, you can tweak everything about that look, you know, say everything about a LUT is just perfect, but you just wish that the greens were shifted a little bit different way, you know, and you, mm-hmm. you cannot fix that. Um, and, right. and so you can't fix that within the LUT, you know, it's, it's strange. So, um, but there are, you know, we use LUTs. I'm not like knocking them in that way. I'm just saying when you, like, if I'm going to grade i want to grade and resolve if i'm going to do a quick uh you know let then i'll do it in my editor but uh, you know i I don't really do the in between as in trying to really color grade much inside of the editor yeah yeah i mean i think knowing the why is so important i was we were actually having a uh, we'll call it a professional development day this morning with the team we went over to um, this local venue that's like 15 minutes away from us and uh, I had, it's kind of a, a, a crash course in off-camera lighting. And I was teaching one of um, one of my new photographers. And, you know, she kind of, she did some stuff and she got it right. And then I asked, okay, wh- now why? You know, why did you do that? Mm-hmm. And while she got it right, um, in terms of like what she was supposed to do, she hadn't understood yet why that was the case. Um, and so we always kind of have to go back to the why in order to really understand so that you can recreate that again and again and again. Yeah. Um, so uh, same thing here with color grading. Like if you're just using something because it's simple and quick, but you don't understand why it's getting you the look that you're getting, you're going to have a really hard time creating that same look consistently. Yeah. And, and it just, it it's, it's taking some of the creative you know, process out of your creative film, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I never think is a good thing. Um, but you know, just as an example, I mean, we just did a film in Mexico and, uh, you know, that, that we created a custom grade from that. Cause I, it just, the, the day itself had a certain look to it. The water was different than anything I've ever seen. So it was the sky, mm-hmm. the way the clouds were. And, um, you know, so I knew I wanted this very like we actually did like four different grades within the film, but the intro has this very warm sort of nostalgic feel to it because it opens up with a sort of a, it's like a backflash voiceover with the bride saying why they wanted to be there. And so we, I just did something very specific to that. The first, you know, 90 seconds or 60 seconds that I did to the, the rest of the film. And then, um, it was cool just getting to just kind of create this after the film's created and, and locked in. And, uh, I think, um, it all comes back to like the why, you know, I knew the certain look we wanted for that and I knew it fit the couple and the location and everything else. Absolutely. Awesome. 
Okay, well, let's dive into Resolve then. I want to hear more about what you're doing in Resolve. Yeah. So uh, Resolve can be a super frustrating um, <laughs> uh, app, I think. I th- uh, I'm not sure. Have, have you had any experience with it? Playing with I it? don't, know. Okay. It's one of those things that... Um, you know, it's not really intimidating looking necessarily because it feels very kind of Apple looking, which is fine. Uh, and I like that. Um, but it's there's so much you can do in it. And I think a lot of people open it, mm. maybe take a quick class on it and get overwhelmed. You know, I, I know I did at first as well. And uh, it, and so to that, you know. To, to, to that point, it's, it's, it's very frustrating. Actually, just getting your footage into Resolve is hard. So I, I kind of have this little workflow of once the edit's done, getting it in there. Because when you XML to Resolve, something funny always ends up happening uh, from Final Cut. Your multicams go crazy. So there's a certain process I have with sending in a baked clip, a, a basically a ProRes export of your clip. Um, good things about that if you're doing any post stabilization or everything else that goes with it where if you xml to resolve it doesn't know premieres warp stabilizer or final cuts you know stabilizer it doesn't know so now you got to you know you have to redo that uh and it's just weird looking you know and, and so i hate all that being undone um plus i found that resolve really likes prores um you know the h264 codec or even h265 whatever it you know, it has to be decoded by your computer. And there's actually different algorithms for doing that, which is why, like, I don't know if anybody's ever experienced this, but you can open up like Firefox, Chrome, and Safari, watch the same film on Vimeo. They will look different. Right. And it's because it's the same file, but they're being interpreted differently by uh, the browser itself. Resolve does that a little bit and it goes a little wacky on H.264, at least the early versions. And I, I don't care anyway. So I'll export a baked um, uh, ProRes file to Resolve. Um, and Resolve has something called Scene Cut Detect and it basically just reblades all your cuts. Sounds very uh, silly to recut a film that's already cut, but it essentially automatically will, will do this. You have to help it on a couple shots. Takes about an extra... 10 to 12 minutes now for me, which is fine. But now I have in a perfect edit of my film. Whereas, you know, most people get frustrated with the XML thing and give up. And of course, you know, the XML workflow and resolve is, is kind of the standard in the colorist area, you know, like the pro, mm. the pro level, they can do that because the, they have all these other things they do and, and lock it in. And, um, it's, I've never had luck with it from, you know, final cut. So, uh, getting, you know, once all that's in, it's, it's, you know, it's a pretty standard workflow as I'm not doing any correcting. Like we talked about, I'm purely focused on creatively grading and resolve, uh, you know, it's 32 bit color, the way that the nodes work in resolve, um, it is wonderful because, you not only can you add serial nodes, which is the same thing as if you're in Premiere or Final Cut, meaning, you know, you add a color correction and then you add another one and they all, the ones that's come first affect the ones down the line. You can do that, but you can also add, do parallel grading. So imagine, um, splitting. So say I want to like isolate my sky and I want to shift that tone around a little bit, but then also maybe I want to do that to the green grass as well. Well, if there's a little bit of overlap in the sky and I'm doing a serial grade, which is what's standard in all the editors, um, 
as I just a little bit of, you know, blue sky tones, if it starts to affect the green tones, then you're going back and forth because one adjustment affects the others. It can be the same on the skin tones. When you do parallel gradings, you've, they're all separate and they all come together, but an adjustment on one does not uh, affect the, the key on the other one. And the key being a key is, you know, a, a, or a um, color selection, it could also be called, would just be the, the hue that you're isolating, you know, hue, saturation, lightness. And so um, being able to do that is kind of, is very freeing because you can start to play around and start to make adjustments that aren't just rippling down the line and screwing everything else up. So when you, if you, you know, create this complicated grade, bless you. But if you create this complicated grade, you can very easily go back and make these, you know, a simple skin tone adjustment and it doesn't affect everything else. Um, so the, the, the creative part of grading and resolve, um, I have a, uh, basically a preset power grade. So it's very similar to what someone would think of as a LUT slapping on a LUT, but I stick on a power grade, but the power grade is seven or eight nodes that, and I might have a couple of those that are different ballparks, but that's like a starting point and fine tune a couple of the selections, um, you know, skin tones, sky, you know, highlights, whatever I want to do to them and start. Now you're grading in layers, right? You're not grading globally. And, um, that's how I do the, the, the main part of the color grading. Um, what I kind of skipped over was really doing secondary grades and that's, uh, I can talk about that if you want, because I think that's really uh, pretty powerful. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. Before we move on to that, I want to hear, tell me, as someone who hasn't used Resolve and is sort of trying to wrap my mind around this, mm-hmm. how is what you just described with the parallel, um, how is that different from like shape and color masking? Right, so the, what I'm saying on the parallel, if you're doing it in, you know, uh, shape mask, then, you know, it it really doesn't matter, but it's really the color masking, right? So if you, let's say, let's assume you just have a, uh, two, two grades, right? Um, and the second, your second little color adjustment is a, uh, a color mask. But now let's say the first one is a global, you know, adjustment or whatever. Now let's say, okay, you want to go back and you need to change that first global adjustment, you know, to whatever that's going to throw off your mask. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yep. It, and now you have to either remask. It's going to be different. If, if you're in parallel, it does not affect it at all because it's actually it, they combine at the end, but not at the beginning. So you can change that, but your key on the second adjustment that is your color mask that you would say, it doesn't change just because you changed something else. Right. So you can yeah. see how that can, that can get pretty powerful once you kind of expand that out to several things. Yeah. I, uh, I smell another YouTube video coming on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, it's, it's a cool thing. It's the thing is, is that, you know, there's, there's a lot of YouTube videos on resolve. Uh, I I'm thinking more like, I don't know, I'm working on something that will keep it chewed down to what works for wedding filmmakers. You know what I mean? Like, because you're taking this tool that can get, so complicated that you give up real quickly on. Yep. Um, and if you only know what you need to know to, to, to create, you know, great looking wedding films and nothing else you will, 
not get that overwhelm. And, you know, it's, it's frustrating whittling through everything else that's out there because you just, you know, I mean, there's only so much you can take before you get frustrated and you're like, okay, I'm I'm just going to stick with something else. So nice. Um, okay, cool. Talk to me about the secondary grades then. Yeah. So the secondary grading, I would, in, in my, um, workflow, that's what I spend the most time on and actually do that before any creative grading although I'm talking about it backwards. Um, But the secondary grading is really just doing masks, right? But the type of masking that you can do in Resolve, the the tracker in Resolve works so fast. Um, Mm -hmm. I believe Premiere has a tracker now as well. Uh, Are y'all in Premiere? We're in Final Cut. Okay, so Final Cut tracking, you know, it's not that good. Premiere has one. I can't imagine. It's not going to work like Resolves at all uh, as far as um, the way Resolves actually has a 3D tracker on it. So it's like if someone turns, it'll actually flatten itself. I don't use it that much, but it's it's very interesting. Um, But you can do some amazing things. So, But the trick is kind of like what we talked about earlier is when you do and mask properly, no one knows it. It just looks like you've got amazing lighting. And so... Every Hollywood um, DP or many of them, you know, they're obviously they're on set. They're all carving light. They're blocking light, keeping it from spilling on the background, making sure it's hitting their subject properly. And then many of them actually sit in on the color grading process, but more for the secondary grading, choosing that right ratio from subject to background Mm -hmm. and what they like. Um, We don't have, you know, on set so to speak, you know, on the wedding day, we can't do that. We can't say, I wish this light wasn't just dumping on the background like that. Right. right? Uh, in most cases occasionally, but, um, you know, you can't control that. So the secondary grading, if we want to really behave like a cinematographer would, the secondary grading is your opportunity to act in post like a cinematographer would on set. Yeah. Right. And, um, it can take, it takes more time. This is something that, like I said, I, I, I would not, if you're doing, if you're just busting out films real fast, this isn't for that. Um, right. but this is something I'll do on my films that are, you know, all of our YouTube films, all of our, you know, I do it to a lot of them, but, uh, it's not all of them. And, um, cause it t- probably the whole resolve process adds about two extra hours of work. to a wedding right but none of that is spent on color correcting like we talked about it's all creative grading and making choices and you can always split the difference and just do the color grading and do it in 20 minutes but the secondary process takes a while but um basically uh we did a we did a music video not too long ago um out in las vegas with the 1dx mark ii not a high dynamic range camera at all uh and we were in harsh vegas sun is this the Um, one i saw with the uh the former bride of yours who's out playing on piano right yes yeah that that music video and um you know, I got some great feedback from it and some people were asking if it was shot on red and a couple of things like that. And the main thing with that video was, you know, control, you know, getting it in camera with no clipping and with a, a proper amount of fill. We had a little bit of bounce light, but then every shot in there is has heavy secondary grading on it, relighting, digital relighting. Um, and I mean, a ridiculous amount. It's so much that like you, if I were to show you the raw video, you'd be like, yeah, it doesn't look that good. But that's the beauty of understanding how to not only do the, this type of grading, but also, you know, what to push around when you get in there. Uh, cause you can kind of mess it up. But, um, you know, I love that. I love that whole process and I love what you can do with it. If you, you know, if you'll spend the time in there to do it. Yeah. 
So um, I can probably imagine the shot of that particular music video that most people were thinking that's on a red. Um, it's a, like a wide shot. Um, the the artist is walking and you have a very blue sky. Is that That's probably mm-hmm. the shot most people are, are thinking yeah, about there. I think so. People ask about that. And then when they're on the horseback riding together, you know, a couple of mm. times, I, yeah. I'm not sure, you know? Um, and, and I, I mean, I don't, you know, I've, I've never really graded red footage, right. You know, most of us right. haven't, but you know, I've seen it and I've worked on a red camera before, you know, as a DP, but, uh, you know, I think the, the point being that like it, it, the, what can be done as you grade, uh, the secondaries can really bring up what I would call perceived dynamic range, right? Not the true dynamic range. If you don't let it clip, you you can do, I mean, cause we all only get six stops on the screen, right? right. Uh, like when someone's watching, that's what rec 709 is. So, um, but if you keep your highlights from clipping, you can do a whole lot to increase your perceived dynamic range. So what I'm hearing you say, just to sort of, uh, loop this back for our listeners is you're, you're making sure you, you save your highlights. Um, and then when it comes to your post work, most of what you're doing and creating that look of, um, of powerful lighting to balance that out is by working, uh, working in your shadows to pull those things up. Right. Just, just making all that, uh, uh, balance properly. And it's not, you know, there's different things you can adjust. You, you gotta be careful where you adjust, um, on your, uh, within your grade, like what you're bringing up. Um, I work with curves a lot more than, uh, the color wheels, uh, Mm -hmm. mainly for the reason of, you know, all the cameras we're shooting with for weddings that we're we're almost always going to have be close to clipping highlights. They don't hold a whole lot. So uh, working with the curves, you can kind of protect that. But, um, hold on a second. But, uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's a big part of the process. And um, something I really, I've been working on a, a, a course for, to, that goes over this whole guy, step, like, like all these steps to grading and resolve for a wedding that simplifies, you know, cuts all that out. And so I really hope to like talk and share more about that, uh, a little bit down the road and just kind of, you know, helping folks to do that. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, maybe say a little bit more about working with the curves to help make your, your shadows look like they were well lit. Yeah. So, on the curves, you know, if you're bringing up skin tones uh, in the curves, the main thing is you don't skin tones shouldn't land in the shadows. They're always going to land a little bit lower if you're in a tough situation where you're trying to underexpose and hold your highlights a little bit. Um, you you really don't want them to be dropping down in the 30 or 40 IRE range. You know, you hopefully they're a little higher than that, and then you can adjust more in the uh, you know, basically taking lower midtones and making them upper midtones. You know what I mean? There's this very narrow range that um, you can boost to make look good, uh, in my opinion. You know, once a shot's like severely underexposed, as far as you know, the codex we're all working in and and the uh, the way the images are captured, you know, they're going to be more or less lost then. But right. um, but working with uh, essentially the the just above what would be considered the center of a curve and boosting that a bit um, can do a lot for your skin tones, depending on the exposure 
and uh, depending on the way you're, you've got it masked and everything else. Awesome. Very cool. Well, uh, we are coming up on the hour. Uh, is there, what else, what else do you want to make sure that we, we talk about here in regards to the color grading? Uh, nothing really. Um, I think we, you know, we kind of went over a lot on that. I think that's good. Uh, I, um, like I said, I have that, the, the stuff I'm working on, on just the teaching. Is that okay to talk about Jordan? Oh, absolutely. In fact, uh, this is, if, if you're, if you're this far in, you're one of our paid subscribers. So I'm actually going to make a, whatever you say here, I'm going to repeat it for, for our free listeners as well. So give me what you got. Yeah. Got it. Well, um, I'm in the middle of creating a course right now. It's just called resolve for weddings. And it's basically a very simplified, but focused workflow for color grading inside of resolve. Uh, for wedding films. So nothing that you don't need to know, but everything that you do need to know. And it keeps this overwhelm from happening uh, when you work in Resolve. And it's infinitely more powerful than grading within an editor. And if it's uh, on a uh, on a wedding film, if, you're, if you think you have a special film there and you want to invest a little more of your time, you can... Uh, you can really push the look a lot further. And so this, uh, this particular course talks about everything from importing and it gets you, it walks you through complete digital relighting, um, masking, and then color grading and layers. And then also comes with several power grades as starting points and power grades, meaning the, the series of nodes that enable you to color grade in layers and gives you a good starting point, but it's also adjustable uh, and tweakable to your film. Awesome. And where can they go to find out more about that? So uh, resolveforweddings.com. It just has a quick, you know, sign up to just get an alert when everything launches. And I'll have a whole series of free tutorials that are going to come out and really help you get the ball rolling. And I'll talk about um, what really, uh, you know, the very first thing I want to be showing is the the whole white balance thing that uh, I walked through at the beginning. Um, we'll, we'll get the walkthrough on that with how to tune the, the centimeter app, uh, you know, starting there and going all the way through, uh, to the exporting process. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, friend, it was great hanging out with you. I'm looking forward to it. We're going to get to hang out in person, uh, in February, right? Yes. Uh, wedding film retreat should be fun. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Matt will be there and another one of our former guests, Matt Davis will be there too. And of course, the Pendergrafts, who are regulars on the show now. So super excited to meet you there. And hopefully some of our other listeners will be there. In fact, I know they will. Um, so that's going to be yeah, awesome. That's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. No doubt. Well, thanks again for spending so much time on this. This has been super helpful. I feel like this is information that has been uh, really different from some uh, what some of the other guests have talked about on this. And so that has been awesome. Really glad cool. you did this. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Jordan. Absolutely. The Wedding Film Academy podcast is produced by Taylor Juarez. If you found this episode helpful, be sure to subscribe on Patreon so you never miss a show. And when you're done, head on over to the Wedding Film Academy Facebook group to chat with other wedding filmmakers like yourself. Until next time, keep making movie magic.